Welcome to The Cause and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Today's show is all about journalism. My guest, Dan Lett, has been a journalist and an award-winning columnist for the Winnipeg Free Press since 1986, and Dan recently launched the Negan and Lone Ranger podcast with co-host and friend of the show, Negan Sinclair. Negan and the Lone Ranger is streaming on all major podcast platforms, and the show is already one of the best podcasts out there. I love it. I've heard, uh, I think, three out of the five episodes, and it's just really great. So check it out. Dan and I today are going to be talking about the current state of journalism, the concept of moral clarity when it relates to journalism, how the business model has evolved, and his tireless dedication to the cause. Please enjoy my conversation with Dan Lett. Thank you for listening to the Because and Effect podcast. My name is Nolan Bicknell, and I'm now joined via Zoom by a very special guest. I've got Dan Lett. He is a journalist and award-winning columnist for the Winnipeg Free Press and co-host and now co-creator of Negan and the Lone Ranger podcast produced in partnership with 93.7 CGNU. Dan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. So I was just telling you before we started recording, I love the show. I'm a I'm a big fan. I'm subscribed on Spotify. Uh, so anyone listening to this right now, go and check out Negan and the Lone Ranger. It's a really, really interesting and uh, valuable, I think, conversation right now, just about sort of the state of things. But maybe you give me the pitch of what the podcast is, why you got it started, and, and uh, just what people can expect when they tune in. Um, well, you know, I mean, I think, um, first off, and, and you probably, uh, as a, uh, a fellow podcaster, uh, feel this, that, you know, right now, probably the stupidest thing you could do in the world is launch a podcast. I mean, there was there, you know, the, the pandemic led to such a proliferation. It was sort of this, this combination of, uh, you know, semi-famous and creative people with nothing to do and, so, uh, you know, we sort of, Nagan and I sort of realized that we were, uh, we were throwing ourselves into a very crowded pool, but I think that, um, you know, we, we had, uh, developed a, a very close friendship, collaborated and used each other, you know, as, as creative sounding boards for our, our work for the free press. And we just sort of, um, I mean, I think it was Nagan who actually said, you know, we ought to do a podcast. And I think I mentioned to you that, you know, we had established at social events that we had a uh, a natural cable access talk show kind of <laughs> rapport, uh, you know, kind of, you know, kind of saucy and and uh, a little irre- uh, irreverent. And, uh, and we just decided to go for it. But we also decided that if we were going to do it, we were going to do like we were going to go big. Yeah. Um, so, uh, after we got over the, uh, the stress of the name of the podcast, um, you know, and again, in the Lone Ranger, I had to do extensive research to make sure that, uh, the Lone Ranger hadn't been canceled somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we weren't really sure like as a cultural icon where it fit into things, but, um, you know, uh, Nagan, we, we focus grouped it, uh, Nagan, uh, with his, uh, mostly indigenous friends and family and my mostly non-indigenous friends and family. Nagan's friends and family thought it was hilarious and fantastic. And it was like, you got to do this. Uh, All of my friends and family were absolutely mortified and uh, told me that I couldn't do it. So um, that actually, you know, as a contrast in cultural interpretation Mm -hmm. actually became like a really great 
talking point for the beginning of the pod. So yeah, well, that, and yeah. we're just, yeah, we're having huge fun with it. It is kind of a microcosm for the conversations, you know, I, we had Negan on the pot on this podcast, episode 73 or so, and and he is just such a wealth of knowledge, but also <laughs> such a, like you said, an irreverent and just sort of an uplifting and very sort of uh, light, keeps it, keeps it light, keeps it tight. But when you're talking about some of the most important issues of our generation, he's still able to keep it light. And I, and I love the rapport you guys have. It's very, very interesting. Uh, but you also have uh, a guest on each show. You have a, you yep. have a feature interview some of the some amazing guests already mark chipman um gary dewar incredible guests yeah and then you also have the story time the the little story that you have a, a mm -hmm. third sort of guest but it's it's just one person telling a story maybe just talk about the format why you chose this format instead of just you guys talking you wanted a guest and you also wanted a story why did you land on this format well i think one of the main reasons why we wanted to do this is because we both felt we had an enormous network of contacts to, uh, to mine. Mm. And, um, you know, we know a lot of really interesting people and, uh, who, and people who I would say for better, or for worse, trust us. So, um, you know, like I, I don't, I don't impose upon people like Gary Dewar or, or, uh, Mark Chipman very often, but when I do, you know, they, they have been very generous with their time. I think that we wanted, like we we wanted it to be there to be some discussion debate, you know. We didn't want to be uh, one dimensional. I think that there are there's a lot of podcasts that are, you know. I mean, I think they deal with very interesting subjects, but you know, they kind of have, you know, two people come on that have the exact same perspective, uh, and uh, yeah, like that's really horrible, isn't that horrible? Yeah, you're right. That's really horrible. And uh, we do some of that. I mean, we do. Uh, but we're trying to bring in other people. So the feature interview, that was mining our network. We thought that was great value for anybody listening. The Storytellers was an idea that, um, you know, stripped away all of the, uh, of the sort of infrastructure around what Nigan and I do for a living. We're storytellers. Mm -hmm. We believe in the value of a really good story really well told and um you know so we and it's unmoderated so we go to somebody that we know and we just say look what is the funniest saddest stupidest most you know viscerally impactful story that you like you know, what's the story that you tell people mm. uh you know when you're talking to them and you're trying to tell them a little bit about yourself and um you know, it's, uh, it's been, well, it's been, an, it's been an experiment. Some have worked better than others, but I think we're really hit sort of hitting our stride. Um, you know, uh, in this, the, uh, we have an episode that dropped this week uh, that you and I are talking uh, just yesterday, but the previous week's episode, the interview was with Sandra Delaron from, you know, who's a missing and uh, murdered indigenous women and girls uh, advocate. The storyteller was uh, Kevin Chief, the former NDP MLA, and he does a. It's almost like a one man, like a, mm -hmm. a like a, a biographical biographical uh, play about reconciliation. And we had him tell a story from that. And and I will tell you, the first time I heard it, I cried like a baby. And he and I recorded it uh, together, and I cried again. Like it mm -hmm. is just, it's such, it is such a, a deeply, deeply moving story and so yeah i mean I, giving a few minutes to someone to tell 
their own story in their own words, unmoderated. Yeah. Like that seemed to be a, a no brainer. It really is a, like, I, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. It really is a great, I'm subscribed. I'm going to be, oh, can we, to every... hey, uh, can we say ass on this? Uh, podcast? That's I don't awesome. know what the official rules are, but you know, <laughs> yes, you, we can. I it's love like... this podcast already. Yeah. Like, okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's all context, right? You yeah, know, yeah. as long as it yeah. fits it. Uh, you mentioned something that I think we're going to talk about a lot today. Um, I, for, just for, for a little bit of context, I love, picking the brain of a journalist and you've been in the sure. game for i think since 86 is that accurate yeah that's that's the uh, that's the date you know so yeah. you, you mentioned trust um yeah. has trust eroded in journalism and since you started and what how has that meant how has that changed how you've approached the job in the last 30 some years well, I mean, I think I think trust has eroded. Um, you know, like I wouldn't say that we aren't responsible in mm. part for some of the erosion in trust. I think that as various economic forces have affected uh, news organizations, you know, we do, regardless of platform or medium, we do fewer stories, we do shorter stories. Um, you know, we we have, uh, you know, we have. Uh, I think we've occasionally tested and maybe even violated uh, the trust of our readers every once in a while. But I think as well, too, um, you know, uh, there are people working full time to erode the trust mm. in the in the traditional media. And, uh, you know, it's part of a, it, it is part of a deliberate agenda. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get into sort of picking places on the political spectrum, but, you know, there there are people who understand that they can't do what they want to do with and to the world uh, unless uh, they can um, uh, at least raise questions about what what I do in the world and undermine and, uh, and undermine the work that you're doing. Yeah, like it's, you know, terms like the mainstream media didn't just, you know, evolve organically. I mean, this was you can track the etymology of it all the way back through you know the uh, really the 1990s, the 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 rise of far right populist politics in the states. Um, you know uh, voter uh, uh, restriction laws, uh, Tea Party. You know uh, Donald Trump. Um, you know, and it's so that's been the you know, and at the same time, you know, we collided with this you know, proliferation of, of what I would consider, con, you know, call non-traditional news, mm. but uh, agenda-driven news mm. um, that uh, adopts all the style and and uh, thankfully not necessarily the substance of, of what traditional news does, but, you know, it, it really presents very much the same way. And, right. uh, you know, and, and people have free access, you know, WordPress, YouTube, you know, you don't need uh, a building and 150 people and a printing press anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then the final bit that I would sort of say is that, um, uh, and different journalists have different ways of approaching this, but we're I'm closer and more in contact with the people who read my content now than ever before. So, you know, my email is still at the bottom of all my columns. Uh, you know, I have, uh, I use my own name, no pseudonyms on social media and, you know, people can take a run at me there. And I would say, you know, 
85% of it is like legitimately good conversation. Exchange, yeah. Good conversation. And uh, the rest of it is not nonsense. But yeah, yeah but that's a, pretty uh, good, know, that's a pretty good ratio for the internet, if I'm being honest. Yeah, no, it's uh, but we also know that like, you know, 3% of all the people that use like we like a lot of places, we don't allow comments on our stories anymore. But you know, 3% of our readers were leaving 90% of the comments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it wasn't, it's not representative of what people think. Well, if somebody emails me, takes the time to email me, I will write back to them. Uh, sometimes I write back to them, even when they've been really uh, mean and, and, uh, and toxic. And, uh, you know, and I have been known to maybe uh, dish out a little bit of what I've been absorbing. Um, but, you know, I had a, I had an exchange with a reader just the other day who, you know, kind of wrote up and, you know, wrote to me and said like, you know, yeah, you're, it's nauseating how like pro NDP you are. You should be embarrassed. <laughs> like it's awful. And I said, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, you know, I'm a little surprised at your reaction because I've always found your obsessive interest in the progressive conservatives to be, you know, mildly tolerable. And he wrote <laughs> me back and he said, okay, props. Like, that was funny. Nice. And uh, yeah. And, and so I think, I've actually made really great connections with readers after I've kind of like yanked the leash a little bit mm -hmm. and said like, you know, come on, like, this is a great thing we have here. I can write it. You can read it. You can email me and I'll email you back. Like, isn't that a good thing? Why would you want to jeopardize that by calling me a moron? Right. right. So anyways, well, I, I love it. That's genius. I, I, I think a lot about the sort of unbiased newsman and the, uh, you know, yeah. playing it right down the middle and not showing any. And I think now that everyone has a phone in their hand or in their pocket yeah. and the ability to record anything and the, you know, the citizen journalism mm -hmm. sort of movement, I think now more than ever, like capital J journalists have mm -hmm. to um, have had to evolve, but I, but I also think people are looking in the same way that people are looking to comedians almost for, for sort of how to, how to just make sense of all the, nonsense. the world. Yeah. The, the con, the, the contextual part is more important than ever. Have, has your style changed in the last 30 years from, you know, being trained as a journalist to be just straight down the middle and just, just the facts mm -hmm. to now mixing in a little bit more of your personality, a little bit more of your opinion, a little bit more of sort of the contextual side of things. Ha ha have you evolved over the years? Obvi like, obviously you have, but how, how has, and has it been a conscious decision or have you, has it just happened naturally? Well, I think part of it is, you know, our, my role changes uh, over the years. I mean, you know, everybody starts off chasing fire trucks and, you know, reporting on, on straight hard news and then, um, you know, you evolve into more complex work, uh, long form features, um, investigative work, which I've done. Um, and then, you know, like in this latter stage of my career, uh, you know, I'm an opinion writer. So the, the one thing, you know, I like to tell people and the one thing I've sort of come to understand, always come to understand is, you know, um, a lot of people still try to attach the standards of objectivity. Mm -hmm. to journalism and that's a really misinformed um you know concept journalism you know has never been objective objective is having no opinion and uh you know or and having no bias and i think it, it's much better and i think most 
journalists say, like, absolutely, like, my news organization, myself personally, yeah, I have a bias, uh, you know, uh, the way I see the world. My bias starts with, you know, uh, you know, really the red flag, you know, that anybody can wave in front of me is uh, no, I, you know, you, you can't know that, or I'm not going to tell you that. Mm. So like I, I've, some of my best stories have been generated by, you know, me making a promise to myself that I'm not going to let somebody get away with hiding something that I think the public should know. Um, that, that adversarial posture means that, you know, we do, like, I, I do tend to be, um, a little professionally hostile to anybody who is in a position of power. Now, um, you know, I, I, I have my personal biases that translate, you know, I definitely give some people a harder time than other people. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the, in general, you know, if you do a good job or if you make your best effort in trying to do a good job and it doesn't fall short, like I've got a lot of room for, okay, you know, good try. Let's, you know, get it better. People that I think are serving self-interest, uh, ignoring, you know, the, the plight of a large, you know, the larger mm -hmm. segments of society, um, you know, who are really, who are trying to help their friends out. Um, and there's a lot of that in politics. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, like it's, uh, I'm, uh, you know, even though my editor Paul Simon continues to tell me that my column is not, not, not my catharsis, uh, I respectfully <laughs> reserve the right to disagree. Now, one other thing I would sort of add in this, which is, um, like we are deeply, deeply affected and I think, and also evolved as a result from uh, the experiences of the last five years yeah. in particular. Mm -hmm. So uh, Me Too, which kind of led into uh, Black Lives Matter, which led into, you know, then when, you know, all of it was sort of affected by the pandemic and the, you know, the, the, uh, the life or death battle over, over science, mm. uh, and the importance of science <laughs> in our lives. And, um, you know, I would sort of say like, well, you know, we've had to, we've had to, um, we've had to confront certain concepts that are related to bias. One of them is in my industry is the discussion over moral clarity, so, um, you know, can we say, like, do we ever get to a point where we say this is absolutely 100% right and this is absolutely 100% wrong? Mm. Now, the debate of, about moral clarity largely came up during Black Lives Matter. Mm. Uh, you know, it was driven by some, some big and robust discussions in newsrooms in the States. But, I mean, everybody, all of us uh, journalists around the world are talking about it. Um, what I would, you know, and you'll let me know if I'm running on here because no, I know you I can sort it. of edit, but the, um, when I go to talk to people, uh, about what I do and I, I thankfully I'm still allowed to do that. Um, you know, I, I, conversation ultimately comes to bias and I use an example. So, uh, you know, it's, um, the Morgenthaler clinic here in Winnipeg and there's, uh, two big protests outside the Morgenthaler clinic. You have a uh, a pro pro choice uh, crowd who are counter demonstrating against a crowd of uh, of people who are opposed to abortion, 
And so they're facing off against each other and it's pretty nasty. And then I say to whoever I'm talking to, okay, now write the lead for me. You've got 40 words. Tell me what the story is. Cause, mm -hmm. And I promise them whatever version of, of how you describe this is going to reveal a certain amount of bias. And even to the point of saying, this is where moral clarity comes in. Cause you can say, um, you know, pro-choice protesters came out to defend uh, you know, the Morgenthaler Clinic that's been under assault from anti-abortion protesters. Okay, bias, right? Mm -hmm. um, but even the more classic approach would be uh, pro and anti-abortion forces faced off in front of the Morgenthaler Clinic. So that's been our default. You know, we're not going to pick sides. And, you know, there's going to be a quote from the pro-choice people and a pro from the, okay. But the, you know, and I would say, and it's I think it's a defensible uh, moral bias that this is an issue of women's health. Um, and, you know, I don't personally, like, I, I think I've always, you know, been pretty robustly pro-choice. Um, and more importantly, I've also been very robustly, I don't, as a man, I, I'm really not in a position to tell a woman what to do uh, one way or the other. Um, but uh, you know what, morally, it's, it's an issue of women's health. Yeah. Um, you know, we know that empirically. And so even though like the old approach, like where we tried to create some sort of artificial objectivity straight down the line, this is where moral clarity comes in, ignores mm. moral truth is really an awful, but it, it, the moral reality of what's going on. Mm. And then I, you know, usually say to them, okay, so how is that manifested in what we do? How have we evolved? Okay, so 10 years ago, we definitely did publish articles written by people who thought that climate change was a bunch of bull. Right. Like, you know, who like we're overreacting, you know, natural weather patterns, blah, 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 blah. I would, you know, today we wouldn't do that. Right. Like we, there's a clear existential threat from climate change. We're not doing enough. We, we've just decided we're not going to be a forum for people to argue that climate change doesn't exist. So I would say on that point, we've achieved a defensible, like a fair-minded, informed, scientifically backed moral clarity on the issue. Uh, even though like, you know, 10 years ago, we would have been very comfortable just say, well, you know, we got to give both sides, a, you know. So yeah. th those big social revolutions that I cited before, I mean, yeah, like we're absolutely affected um, yeah. by it, and it it we've changed. It's changed what we do and how we do it. Once you realize the tactics of the sort of false dichotomy that gets brought up by people who are trying to muddy the waters of, uh, in the yeah. value of journalism, then you can understand that oh, that's not we're not going to tell you know you can draw a line in the sand a little bit more and not allow that debate to even I, I think about this all the time i think i tweeted something out like why are we still having debates about things that were i thought settled 50 years ago mm -hmm. and it's just because you you're, you're tolerating this oh you got to give equal time and equal you know like this this false dichotomy that it gets brought up is like oh well it's just opinion versus opinion but sometimes yeah. it's actual fact versus fact but i want to talk a little bit about facts mm. and perception because i you yeah guys, you guys touched on it i think in episode one even about just the perception of the public and how facts are now debated yeah. and how hard that is for a journalist to do his or her job when 
people don't even agree on the definitions of words anymore or the definitions yeah. of, of science or, or yeah. anything. So how has your approach to interviewing someone who doesn't mm -hmm. have the same starting point as you, like how, right. how do you, how do you do your job when, when people don't have the same sets of de definitions for words? Yeah. You know, it's uh, like, it, it's really tough because there's so much information out there. And, um, you know, so like I do a, and this is something that I actually uh, started work. I started with uh, the community news commons mm -hmm. and the Winnipeg Noah, Foundation. Shout out to Noah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Noah, my brother in, uh, in uh, media literacy. And that was part of what I did. Like I, I talked about, you know, basically the state of traditional news organizations in the business. Um, and then I, I sort of, I go into a presentation where I try to show people um, like how to be better consumers of mm. news. Cause that's what it really comes down to. Um, uh, you know, the, the principles like the tenets of that underpin at least, you know, what I try to uh, tell people is um, you know, check the source. Um, and I, I have a range of online sources uh, that are pretty, like they're they're very fair and balanced ways of assessing the 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 both the reliability uh, and uh, and the 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 ideology or the philosophical underpinnings of the organization that's giving you news. Make sure that you can find out exactly who it is. Like, are there real names there? Is it like you know? Is the name of the company that owns the organization there? And then beyond that, like I've tried to explain about you know, that like not all news is created equal. <laughs> so despite the fact that it's only barely economically feasible right now, it's really important that you consume news from organizations that uh, are end-to-end -end, uh, news producers. So they have reporters who go out and talk to people or, or go to events, write the content, and then publish it either online or ink on paper or electronically or whatever. And differentiate between organizations that don't really have reporters. They have uh, content aggregators who pull things from, you know, legitimate news organizations, cobble them together with a whole bunch of links, and put their own names on it. And and so, you know, Zoo, or uh, BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, uh, to a certain extent. And, and um, you know, it's not that these organizations don't occasionally do their own work because they do, but the core of what they do is really is not journalism. It's so just, it's just you know, click farming. You're just trying to yeah, get as no, no, many no. eyeballs on the. Yeah, exactly. So I really I kind of break down stories and I, you know, show people how they sort of come together in the end. Um, our best defense is to read a wide spectrum of is to actually read First of all, read the news, don't scan it, and read a wide spectrum of news. So, you know, I'm looking at my browser right now as we're doing this, and I've got, what have I got open? I've got the Free Press open, obviously. I've got the New York Times, Washington Post, The Guardian, uh, the, the Wall Street Journal, and Politico. So, like, you could analyze my news tastes, and you could probably come up with a, um, oh, a National News Watch, which isn't really national, but that's a whole other podcast <laughs> um and uh you know you might see me skewing a little left of center 
in the news that I read. But, you know, I would like I would encourage you, like take out a free trial and read the editorial pages like the columnist and the editorials in The Wall Street Journal. Like it's important for me to know what people who don't think like me think. Mm. Um, and, and that, like, I find that to be a stress test on the arguments that I want to make in my column. Um, you know, the Washington Post is, you know, pretty classic liberal crusading news organizations, New York times, um, you know, uh, is I think the standard, uh, for, you know, traditional journalism still, um, you know, their investigations in long form journalism. The Guardian is the greatest sort of open platform, non, uh, you know, firewall news organization in the world, enormous resources uh, and really excellent, uh, you know, content on English Premier League football, which is a <laughs> bit of a passion. So, uh, yeah, so it's like you have to like you have to force yourself to read and read a lot yeah and multiple can't, yeah multiple sources and if you if you really find that you can't get away from um you know scanning social media headlines or um you know looking at the at the app or homepage of a news organization and, and just kind of like you know like looking at the headlines on the on the landing page and two or three lines and okay i got it yeah i got that yeah you know you don't got it you don't. um and that's really you, you know and that's an it's an enormous battle that, right? that like it's yeah that leads me into my next question because you and negan had a great conversation about this current state of twitter and musk's uh yeah whatever you want to call it and just how so I want to ask you about how modern journalism, you know, I see so many six o'clock news shows that say, that say people are saying so-and-so that, and, so, and yeah. then they, they, they link to a tweet with six likes from some guy with 20 followers. And it's like that justified a story, did it? So I'm yeah. curious your perspective of sort of tech platforms as a source. And I, I thought mm -hmm. it funny when you're reading all the, all the different um, actual legitimate news sources as a, a on your, on your mm -hmm. tabs. And I'm sure there are cer certain journalists out there who have Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, you know, yeah. whatever else as their sources. So yeah. And, and full disclosure, like I'm, I'm a Twitter guy, right? Like I think it's, uh, you know, but the, um, uh, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's, uh, the um, I was thinking of my because I just changed my profile. Uh, New profile pic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I put in the podcast uh, oh, okay, yeah. image. Yeah, which uh, you know, again, if the story behind the the photo of me and Nagan is in the first, we talk about it in the first yeah. episode. It's pretty hilarious. Um, but uh, no, I used to my my profile on Twitter said you know. Twitter's exciting new media that's almost entirely dependent on traditional media. Thank mm, God. Mm. And, um, you know, so I think that, you know, I think it's important to realize like not just on social media, but the internet in particular, newspapers were forerunners in populating the internet with information. I mean, we, we were out experimenting with the creation of interactive websites and, 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 you know, offering free content to people. I mean, it turned out from a business perspective to be a, a colossal mistake but that having been said you know we were there and we're still there and and i think that we believe social media is an important way of connecting um with our audiences um so you know 
like what what Musk is doing to Twitter, Elon Musk is doing to Twitter is a big concern. Yeah. Just last uh, night he was banning journalists that were covering. No, it, I know. It's it's getting it's getting gross. Yeah, like it's um like I I keep hoping that he'll kind of retreat and settle into a because like he's he has kind of said like he doesn't want to run the company. Like he wants to change the company and then he wants to flock off, right, <laughs> to uh to other other things. Um but uh I'm worried that like he it's going to make it impossible for me to continue using. And here's the thing, like we're kind of trapped. Like we we have our own website, um, and uh, we certainly do. Uh, like we offer some of our content for free, and most of our content is not for free. But, but I mean, like you know, uh, social media is an important way to spread the brand of the news organization, and and uh, you know, I mean, my my assumption is like that he'll continue to screw around with this just long enough that someone's going to start. Some, a new platform yeah yeah that will be um you know that and and basically will draw all the advertisers and slowly over time um you know twitter will you know kind of be reduced to the scrap you know the the dustbin of history <laughs> and I'll, I'll kind of be sad like again the immediacy the chance to interact with readers the chance to break news uh, uh, like, and that's what, you know, you know, and, and promote the podcast and my writing and yeah, like it's, uh, you know, he is, Elon Musk is going to break my heart before this is over. It's you know? a, it, we're in the strangest timeline for sure. All the thing the Trump NFTs and the Elon yeah. takeover, it's just been like what every single day is a new headline that you think could have been an onion article five years ago and here we are but um i want to yeah. talk a little bit about the business model side of things yeah what are your thoughts on because i have thought for a while that it might be it might be possible that instead of moving away from the institutional side of things and the and the free presses and the new york Timeses and the mm -hmm. washington posts that we move to a more individual model and now it's just the dan let Mm -hmm. show you can go on patreon you can go on all these different mm -hmm. websites where it's just one-to-one -one. Mm -hmm. you get supported by the readers themselves they give mm -hmm. you a dollar a month or whatever what are your thoughts on just the, those models are they are they viable are they do you have the longevity can you do the th sorts of work that the world needs to read about like the long form yeah. independent uh or sorry long form investigative pieces when you're mm -hmm. when you're sort of it, you you have to respond to your patrons as it were. So what are, what are your thoughts on those business models and the new things that have popped up? Well, you know, the Substack kind of uh, approach. Yeah. You know, like I definitely see it working for some people. Like I think if, you know, if I, and a lot of journalists I know have done this, you know, if they want to sort of become a, a freelance column writer and, and uh, journalist and produce their own content and then, you know, uh, sell it or present it online themselves. Like I know people that have done that. I think it. I think it is viable to a certain extent. Um, few problems. Like number one is like no individual uh, will ever have the resources to create the the brand profile necessary to get you know content in in front of eyeballs. So I mean, you can write snappy heads on your tweets, right, and that'll help. But, you know, one of the things, like absolutely one of the things that helps 
me in this market is that the Winnipeg Free Press, even for people who don't read the free press, uh, you know, uh, like I'll meet like younger people. I referee a lot of hockey, so I'll be in the room with a you know younger official. Well, what do you do? I work for the Free Press. Oh yeah, that's really cool. Do you read the Free Press? No, I don't read the Free Press, but they know the Free Press, and and that's super important. The second thing is resources. Um, while you could cherry pick individual stories and do them as an individual, I mean, really, what drives a news agenda? Uh, is uh, team coverage, you know, Mm. uh, opinion writers uh, offering their take, you know, news reporters at at the Manitoba legislature covering the daily news, feature and investigative reporters doing their thing. And then, you know, together we've created, you know, uh, like a big picture. Um, And so I think that's important. The last thing is, that uh, the the really, I use evil in a very, I'll use it in a very broad <laughs> sense, but the people who would rather that you didn't know what they are actually doing, mm. who are acting out of self-interest, who are trying to tip the table in their favor, who are trying to profit at your expense. And there's a lot of those people. Uh, they would love it if the best investigative journalists in the world were sole proprietors mm. because they could pick us off one by one. Mm. Um, you know, like it's, we are, the free press is frequently threatened uh, with, uh, uh, you know, with lawsuits uh, when we confront, you know, the the bad stuff that they're doing. We get threatened all the time. Mm. And, you know, uh, the newspaper has spent, I'm sure, I'm just trying to think back now, because like with a lot of the investigative work that I've done, there there were a lot, there was a lot of attempt at, at defamation chill, right. you know, but I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, more than 100,000, the paper spent more than $100,000 fighting back uh, these, uh, you know, and, and it's, and it hasn't just been from individuals. You know, like I twice uh, um, commissions of inquiry into wrongful convictions, which, you know, is kind of a a body of work that I worked on, attempted to, you know, basically bring me into the commission and then ritually abuse me at the hands of commission lawyers. So, like, you know, that I have to be prepped. Uh, You know, we have to have people monitor what's going on and, and you know, defend you know, make sure the rules of engagement are fair. Mm-hmm. Um, individuals could never do that, right. you know, and it's, I mean, you could, you know, every time somebody sued you, I suppose you could do a GoFundMe <laughs> yeah. uh, and you would get, <laughs> you know, some support, but that is working without a net. Yeah. So um, that's you such know, an I'm, important point. Yeah. Uh, the last thing is to, you know, I'm not really governed by like my, my worldview is not dictated to me by anybody at the newspaper. Um, you know, I, I rely on the beautiful minds at the free press to help me focus and refine what I want to say and, you know, chew, like chew things over. But um, like, I'll give you a really good example. So I had an editor uh, come to me and say, um, Hey, you know, listen, we were talking in the news meeting and, uh, we think uh, this would make a really good column. You know, like, you know, Heather Stephenson is uh, the premier of Manitoba uh, and uh, Candace Bergen is the interim leader of the Conservative Party and they're both from Manitoba. And this is like both, 
you know, uh, female politicians, you know, uh, leading uh, conservative parties at the same time. This is like got to be a quantum leap forward for women in politics. And and I said, well, A, um, I don't necessarily agree. Uh, but B, and this is, a, again, I would put this in the category of lessons learned. It's not my job to tell women whether this is a, a great accomplishment for women in politics. Mm. You know, like, I think, you know, me too, Black Lives Matter, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the residential school and, and our Mark Graves and, and uh, missing and murdered uh, Indigenous women and girls have taught me that I have to be careful about, like, I have to find, uh, find things to write about where people want to hear what I have to say. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of these, there are aspects to all these stories where people really don't want to, you know, don't want to hear what I have to say. And uh, so, you know, yeah, like it's, um, uh, I think the, the, the great thing about my job is that as long as I don't defame somebody and bring, you know, as long as I'm factually correct, as long as I'm fair and my my methodology is is journalistically sound and defensible, I can say anything that I want. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, thankfully, I don't think anybody at the free press, like there is a fair range of of uh, worldviews mm -hmm. among the colonists. I don't think any of us have abused that privilege. But for the record, you know, the owners of the newspaper do not tell me what to write. Nobody yeah. tells me what to write. And my editors are somewhat tormented by the, that reality. So, Yeah, I, I really think just to reiterate that point of like when when frivolous lawsuits are used to threaten and try to, you know, quell opinion and quell news and like shut down mm -hmm conversation that that you need a you need an organization in the strength of the legal team behind you to be able to defend the right and the and the and the importance of that work so yeah that's a very yeah. very important point when it comes to the sort of independent conversation with patreon and and all those things um last last question before we get into the causes part of things sure. um i'm going to be speaking to a journalism class uh, in a month or two do you have any words of wisdom for the next <laughs> for the next crop of people who are studying this this beautiful uh art form mm -hmm. this beautiful you know thing that you've dedicated 30 30 odd years to what, what would you say to the next generation of of uh, journalists coming up through the system um, about to start working yeah, well, I mean, you know, good on you uh, for pursuing it. Um, you know, like the, I think there's a misunderstanding that that somehow uh, journalists is become going to become a less important, um, you know, profession in the future. I mean, I don't think that's true. I usually like when I talk to J students, um, you know, I typically ask them, like, of all you know, the technological advances that have been created in the last 300 years, you know, of all the devices, what is the one thing that we, you know, we fully expect to be the most enduring? It's a small thing, right? But it's the most enduring uh, part uh, of all, it, like it's a major part of all of the major, uh, you know, innovations and, and, uh, quantum leaps forward in technology as it relates to uh, information and, uh, uh, you know, uh, content. 
And, you know, like, it's a pretty vague question, but the answer is the keyboard. So, um, you know, uh, right from the very first presses, you know, there was a, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a form of keyboard that was used, you know, when they typeset the, uh, the press. And, you know, you move through the typewriters into early computers, into, you know, mobile computers, into tablets and mobile devices like phones. And they're like, we need to, like, content is about storytelling. It's about expressing yourself. Uh, and you need a way of doing that. And the way we do that is that we we sit down in front of a, a keyboard and we, you know, whatever's in our head comes out. You know, I, I for one, I, I really don't believe AI is going to produce, mm. you know, content, uh, you know, not in a way that we would be able to say, you know, would ever be able to replace or augment um the uh you know the powerful forces of like of an like a well-trained individual yeah. it'll be good for like some, yeah it'll be good yeah. for buzzfeed and you know those things that are just trying yeah maybe to, yeah to listicles that, but, and yeah but yeah things the, like that the context, being yeah. able to contextualize humanity yeah. is is a, is a, i think uniquely <laughs> living endeavor i hope but you know who, who really knows yeah, like, please listen, continue well, whether like whether so whether those people, those students, you know, end up working in advertising and marketing and they're producing thought leadership, you know, trying to explain complex issues, you know, for marketing purposes or whether it's traditional journalism uh, or, you know, in, in any of its forms, like, you know, we need people who are confident and, you know, and have the chops to to go into confront uh, an issue or a subject that you don't know anything about, study it quickly, establish, you know, like learn who the credible sources are, communicate that to a public. Um, you know, that's, that's, I've always believed that's noble work. I think it will continue to be noble work. And, and I think people will be making a living at it well into the future. Well said. I, I completely agree with you. I think it, this, and you know, there w when you see the attack on the on the pillar of journalism from so many different mm -hmm. sources, you know that it's a powerful. You 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 realize how powerful it is, and I think people are starting to understand the value of capital J journalism and the value of journalists who are going out there and speaking truth to power and and trying to shine a light on injustices in the world. And I think um, I think we're we're in the middle of a revolution right now, and we don't really know yeah. how, what what the platform necessarily is going to be or the formats and everything. But I, yeah. I have faith that uh, that people are are going in the right direction when it comes it, to understanding it. Just as one last aside, like people that I find that are really deeply deeply cynical, mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, you know about the traditional media. I usually tell them to go to the Canadian Newspaper Association website and the section on the National Newspaper Awards and read, mm. um, go back two, three years and read the uh, the submission because they're all there in that like the, so read the the columns, the investigative pieces, the, the um, international reporting, um, you know, the, uh, the long form features, read the best of what Canadian journalism produces. Look at the scope of the issues that are confronted. Look at the at the causes that we pursue, the the uh, constituencies that we champion, um, you know, and you know, judge all of us uh, 
on the basis of that work. Um, you know, because the free press, I mean, we've certainly produced our share of national newspaper award winners. I, I won one and uh, we have, you know, multiple people on staff that have, that have also won one. That That is in a snapshot, that is really the work of the traditional or mainstream media. So if you're going to condemn it, then, you know, condemn that and, and, you know, and come up with good reasons why, mm. but uh, look at what we do first. Beautiful. Yeah. Wonderfully said. So Dan, at the end of our time together, we do a segment called just because it's uh, seven questions about the causes you care about and the effect that it has on your life. Thus the name, because and effect, you ready to go through those seven with us? All right. Okay. Question one, what is the first cause you ever remember caring about? Um, well, I, I mean, I could, I, I try to remember the first cause. I would say that the main cause that, that I have thrown myself into is, is, um, helping uh, uncover wrongful convictions. Mm-hmm. Um, I've written about half a dozen stories about uh, individuals that have been wrongly convicted. Not all of them have been exonerated or, or uh, uh, you know, their cases, uh, you know, turned in the right way. Um, but, uh, you know, in a couple of, I was deeply involved in the David Milgard story. A lot of journalists were, um, you know, but I, I, I certainly played a role and, um, you know, David's passing this year reminded me like what a terrifying experience it is to, to kind of engage in one of these stories. Cause nobody, you know, uh, like I wrote a little blurb for the free press 150th and just said, like, um, I've been able to help three men who were wrongly convicted, get out of prison. And and helping someone get out of, of prison that's been wrongly convicted is like moving a mountain. So when people ask me, like, what's the best part of my job is that, like, I've seen mountains move three times. And like, who can say they've seen that? So yeah, I think that's probably the best cause. Incredible. Yeah, very well said. Uh, so question two, if money, politics and logistics were no issue at all, you could just snap your fingers and something would happen. Yeah. What would you do? Um, there would be a fully funded uh you know uh fully empowered um uh uh national independent commission for the investigation of wrongful conviction mm-hmm. so um basically what it would mean is that there would be a, a roster of investigators of lawyers they would vet cases um they would and there would be resources there for individuals that claim that they were wrongful wrongly convicted to retain their own investigators and and uh, lawyers and um there would be like i think the ultimate decision would still have to go probably to the federal justice minister but where you know they would be able to without fear or favor uh in that investigate report and recommend uh and uh, the liberal government has kind of said they were going to do it and then they backed off it because the provincial attorneys general don't like it but if if i could do one thing that would absolutely positively be it I mean, there could be hours of podcast discussing yeah, wrongful convictions absolutely. for sure um yeah uh, but we'll we'll keep moving uh question three what's the biggest misunderstanding or biggest stigma about about that cause of wrongful convictions um well okay so the stigma for the individual involved is this idea that people still remarkably have a high level of trust in the criminal justice system. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the the prospect that they got it 100% completely, mm-hmm. utterly wrong is still a huge leap in logic for a lot of people. 
and uh and that 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 does make it like even the people that i've helped who've gotten out of prison who it's been th pretty thoroughly shown uh, you know they weren't the right guy they live under a stigma for the no. rest of their lives they never escape it um and then you know i think for um for news organizations it's the idea that if we engage this kind of story as a cause mm. that we are we've lost our our sense of fairness and balance and um, like when you find a story and when you learn the investigative methodologies that help you determine whether or not someone's wrongly convicted. And I, I, you know, this isn't something I created. I learned from some amazing people um, along the way. Um, like once you're sure that it's a story you have to throw yourself into, like you, and, and that means you have to be willing to uh, advocate and defend both outside the paper and inside the paper, mm. because there will be a lot of people inside the paper who are like, come on, yeah, you know? So anyways, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. there are stigmas on both sides. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, one, the class of human being that is probably the least supported and, and respected yeah. as a criminal class, right? Everyone just kind of throws them away and doesn't really think of the human rights of a, of a criminal per se. So yeah, that's an incredible, sure. incredible perspective. Uh, question four, what's a recent victory either personally or professionally that you can share with us that you uh, are proud of? Recent, um, I mean, launching victory. a podcast is a pretty mm. big W, but yeah, well, uh, you know, I would say that, like, you know, that's certainly that that's very personally gratifying. You know, honestly, I would say, and this this goes back to that, like, I have constant and immediate contact with the people who read my columns. Uh, is that, um, when I write something, you know, obviously, there are people who you know, uh, contact me and, and tell me I'm an idiot. And, you know, fair enough. I had my say, they get their say. Um, but, you know, I'm also like, I, I almost on a daily basis, I'm contacted by people who, who said, you know, like what you did made me understand this more. Mm -hmm. It moved me. It uh, it's made me want to, you know, go out and get involved in something. So, I mean, I think we've always thought that good journalism, you know, moves people you know, cha changes the way we look at the world. And, uh, and I, you know, I think it's one of the best parts of the job. Like I'm reminded that we're capable of that on a almost daily basis. That's huge. I think, yeah, you hear so much about people only focusing on the negative comments and only focus in, you know, you get a hundred positive ones and one negative one and you're laying in bed thinking about the negative one. So it's good that you're able to consciously <laughs> focus wow, on it's the like positive. It's like you're hiding in my bedroom and you can see most <laughs> nights they're lying <laughs> Yeah, no, anyways. Question five, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, man. Um, the best piece of advice, I mean, I've had like so many great pieces of advice that have like kind of helped me emotionally adjust to the, you know, because there, there is an emotional burden for sure um, that, you know, comes with being a... Uh, you know, I don't consider myself a celebrity or famous person, but I mean, you know, like I'll Public, be walking sure. across, yeah. yeah, like I'll be walking across the parking lot of a superstore and somebody said, Hey, you know, are you Dan Lynn? Well, and I could tell you, it can go either way at that point, right? <laughs> yeah, you're you know? like, uh, depends who's yeah. asking. Yeah. So, uh, the best piece of advice I've had some, some great. So, uh, John Dafoe, who's a former uh, editorial writer and columnist at the Free Press, when I started writing opinion, 
pieces, he told me not to throw my fastball every time, mm. which is the idea, like, don't write every column with the same tone and, and the same, you know, sort of a net, like, you know, mix it up a little bit and show people that you're more than just like a, you know, a ranter and a raver. Um, uh, um, a former journalist turned private investigator named Paul Henderson uh, from Seattle, um, who I met working on the Milgard story. Um, and his boss, uh, a guy named Jim McCluskey from Princeton, New Jersey, and uh, who's the, uh, uh, the recently retired but still involved um, founder of Centurion Ministries, um, and they investigate wrongful convictions. It's a not-for-profit so they they imparted two big pieces of advice. One was um, the importance of a chronology in investigative work. Mm. So they they taught me that the truth of any story can often be revealed by creating a painstaking minute by minute chronology of who did what and where, mm. and that the the truth of any complex story can be revealed with that. Not always, but I would say a lot of the time with a simple chronology and and that was paul henderson uh he's passed now but i mean he he won a pulitzer prize for freeing a man uh from prison who was accused of rape and and his work led to the um to the arrest of a serial rapist uh that had terrorized women across the the northwest and jim mccluskey is uh literally uh, the greatest human being I've ever met. They've they've freed seventy odd prisoners from death row or or life sentences. Absolutely selfless, dedicated, and and he, you know, in the aftermath of the stories that we've written that have helped get people out of jail, there's a moment where it, you're you're really from the justice system and officialdom. It's nothing but contempt and hostility. That's what you get back. And, and he was the one who reminded me, he wasn't the first to say it, that, you know, in the work that we do, you can sometimes judge what you do on the, you know, the basis of of the type of enemies you have and not the supporters you have. So I, I try to, you know, I probably have to remind myself of that at least once a week. I love that. Uh, question six, what advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to him? Wow. Well, okay, so here's the really embarrassing thing. Like around about 10 or 11, I already knew I wanted to be a journalist. Awesome. So, yeah, so, um, geez, what other advice would I give myself? I would probably say, uh, listen, for the first 10 years of your career, uh, do anything anybody asks you to do without question and don't be such a smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> I would have saved myself a lot of grief. Good advice uh, when I. Yeah, like just yeah, just I know it's stupid idea. Just do it, yeah. right? And and then later on in your career, you'll be able to do what you want to do. Love it. Yeah, great, Dan. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your the new podcast. I, I yeah, I I love it. I'm gonna be subscribed and looking for every single new episode. Is it gonna be a okay. weekly thing? Or are you guys doing sort of a season, like twelve in a row, or what? What's the well, plan? we're we're gonna try and do weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, we we've uh, we just dropped I think episode seven, six or seven. I can't remember. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we have been on a weekly cadence except for one break when uh, both Nigan and I were very sick. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to try and do that. And um, 
we're just going to take it as far as as we can take it and it's uh there isn't like there are there are not uh, as many as the fact that there are so many podcasts there are not a lot of podcasts from manitoba that you know uh like that are broader like yours uh in subject matter so you know yeah like we're as we say like uh <laughs> i just want to make sure i read this uh correctly hang on just a sec this is like real-time research going yeah on. let's do Whoops. it real-time research well, um what, what you're saying it, about yeah. like the, the, the podcast in manitoba it, it isn't just for manitobans either like the the microcosm yeah. of manitoba as a sort of you know precursor to the things that are happening across the can yeah. across the country are i think really interesting and important and you guys do a great job of sort of extrapolating well, what's happening yeah. here to what 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 it means on the national stage and even in the international stage so that's why i love it i think it's just a great great new podcast for sure yeah we want to be relevant to a national audience but we never you know we never want to forget the roots yeah. You know, so that's why like we, you know, we kind of in the description on most of the streaming platforms, you know, we say like we're, you know, Negan Sinclair and Dan of the Free Press and we're here to rep the 204 and to a lesser extent the 431 and the 584. And uh, yeah, like it's, you know, like it's uh, it is a it's a it is a view from the, you know, the geocentric, uh, you know, point in the flatland of the in the middle of the country and um yeah you know it's uh, for better for worse we'll see how we'll see how far that takes us yeah well so far so good nigan and the lone ranger is out on anywhere you can get your podcast uh before i let you go dan the last question uh yeah. it's the hardest one what do you want to be remembered for oh gosh um well i i, I would like to be remembered as somebody who um you know, was kind of willing to put myself on the line uh, for someone else's cause. Like, you know, when I was convinced that it was a good cause, I think that, um, you know, uh, and somebody as well to who, even in the work that I do, like, you know, talk about what you do well, admit when you fall short, you know, admit to that and own it. And, um, you know, and, and sort of go forward with a clear conscience, hopefully. Yeah. Dan Lett, award-winning journalist and now soon-to-be award-winning podcaster. I'm calling it right now. You guys are killing it, and I love it. Thank you for being on the show. I appreciate your time, and uh, good luck in the new year. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on. Thank you again to Mr. Dan Lett. Uh, I really love these conversations, and I hope you enjoy them too, you know. Journalism, as we mentioned, has been under attack more probably in the last five, 10 years than it ever has in human history. Um, I think we need to collectively really step up and show our support for these organizations like the Free Press. I think it's the only independent journalism outlet left in Canada or something like that. So it's, it's just, we're in a crazy time. And the journalists that are doing the work to expose a lot of the corruption in our world could not be commended enough. So thank you to Dan and his colleagues and thank you to um, him and Negan for putting this new podcast out. You can check out the Negan and the Lone Ranger podcast 
anywhere you get your podcasts. Check it out on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. Go go like and subscribe the uh, the Negan and Lone Ranger podcast. It's really, really good and it's relevant and it's entertaining and every episode I've heard so far has been valuable and enjoyable, so check it out. All music on our show is produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can hear more of his music by searching Trenton Burton on Spotify as well. Because on Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. You can learn more about the foundation by searching at WPGFDN on all social media accounts and or by going to the website www.wpgfdn.org. I'm at Nolan Bicknell on all social media accounts. You can follow me there and remember, journalism is what maintains democracy. It's the force for progressive social change. Bye-bye.